1: Welcome back to everyone to another episode of Feather and Fur. Your host, Brad Hurlbus. Today we have on Emily and Josh from Crappie Junction. Welcome to the hey. show. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. I think it's going to be fun. Touch base on a little bit of everything outdoors from some fellow Wisconsinites. Absolutely. You know, we can we can think of summer and fall as we're both dealing with, you're dealing with a snowstorm and I'm dealing with freezing rain and sleet. It's a great way to <laughs> remember what what Wisconsin is when it's nice outside
2: (laughs) well (laughs) fortunately we're almost into maple season so that that's our saving grace we're just waiting for that and we got a few more ice trips up our sleeve as well
3: that's what I was going to say is we still have decent ice and so I only wanted a little bit of snow for the snowmobile this is more than I asked for but (laughs) we're going to make the end of the season work out
1: what are you supposed to get up there because the totals have changed so drastically and this episode, uh, well, we're recording it. So, for everyone that I normally don't say when we're recording, it's we're in the middle of a snowstorm. This airs in two days. Like, you can catch up.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think the last time we checked was about, you know, 10 to 12 inches. So, we'll see. It's supposed to be cold, though. So, that's the powder snow is usually pretty nice.
3: Sure. Well, and ultimately, the people at home will know more details <laughs> than we do at this point. Yeah. Like you said, by this point, this will be airing.
1: did they get 12 inches did they get 27 we'll find out well no on saturday that (laughs) that was the crazy thing with this storm like we're two days ago they're like well Madison might get 10 to 12 inches or one to two inches of slush and a quarter inch of ice and we're kind of leaning towards that line right now but not quite a quarter inch of ice but then just north of me well 12 to 24 we don't know (laughs) (laughs) yep 24 that's a big range like that that's,
2: that's a lot be. of range <laughs> make sure you're right, though
1: it, it does make sure you're right i mean you <laughs> throw enough darts at the dartboard eventually you're gonna hit a bullseye right right <laughs> so i'm curious and normally i start my shows off with asking how you got outdoors but I, i'm gonna skip that because i want to know about maple season And I wasn't planning on the episode going this way. I was really planning on, but I have not actually had an opportunity to talk to people about like the full, cause I know there is some serious passion there with tapping trees and boiling. Like I know the process overview, like, cause I have some friends that have done it, but I'd love to really hear more about that. Cause I know that's a huge tradition in Wisconsin.
2: Yeah. I mean, it ranges anywhere from, you know, mid February all the way to the end of March, sometimes even into April, depending on the weather. Um, you know, I didn't grow up doing it. I kind of learned it over the last decade and I've kind of fallen in love with it. You know, Wisconsin has some great traditions. Um, you know, I love sturgeon. I love the maple season. Uh, I'm a I'm a prairie boy by heart. So I grew up with lots of ducks and, and lots of like uh, upland game and stuff. And then I moved over here and it's, you know, now we live in, in the hardwoods. So it's been a, it's been a transition, but it's it's super awesome. Um, we just we don't you know do any production. It's just for ourselves and friends and family, um, more more or less, just to have it have it on hand. Yeah, go
3: ahead. We're really excited because you know, like Josh was saying, it is our first year doing it on our own. So you know, there's a lot that we were able to learn from others because it kind of takes a community to do this. Sometimes you know, um, but it is really cool to be able to put all the pieces together and I guess go into our first season strong.
1: That's awesome. And if you haven't had real maple syrup, it's not like what you buy at the grocery store. Even the real maple syrup in a grocery store isn't the same as like buying it from someone that's actually tapping trees and boil. It's different. Like there's bars and like there's supper clubs in the Northwoods of Wisconsin that actually have real maple syrup. And there's always an upcharge for it, which is which is 100% understandable. But if you don't pay it, you're completely missing out.
2: Yeah. yeah and it really depends on on the maker too you know I have at my work I have some some of the older guys that still tap they tap with their grandma they'd use a cast iron kettle you know and it has like kind of an irony taste and then we have like um I have friends that do the you know the straight stainless steel like evaporator thing like so it ranges a lot and the taste can range a lot, and. It's just something that I, I really enjoy like not only just consuming but like cooking with and using it for other stuff like that.
1: It's a it's a pretty amazing base for an old fashioned. I mean if you don't yeah. use, <laughs> yeah. use maple syrup in your old fashioned you're missing out. <laughs> <laughs> How Wisconsin quite, can we get in this episode, right? Right.
3: <laughs> it is quite the process though to make it, you know. So I don't know if there's people out there who don't know, but I mean it involves collecting a massive amount of sap from the trees. So you know, sometimes you drive around and you see people have like little bags hanging off and everything. And um, you know, what is the what is the ratio? It takes like 40 gallons of sap sometimes to make syrup um and that varies year by year um but to collect all that and evaporate it down i mean it sounds so easy to like boil water and make syrup but um it is really so much more than that
1: yeah <laughs> i actually want to hear more like i like my episode like i'm not like my episode is like outdoors right it's not just strictly hunting it's 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 archery and we were going to talk about archery well, i'm sure we'll get into it but like i'm really like am interested in like different things you can do in the outdoors right so i'm curious on that process I'm, I'm like will you dig into it a little bit like like why how do you know when the is ready it's like why is it why does it produce sap and in, in like end of winter spring like like, what's unique right now and then as you collect sap, like what's how do you process it like i really want to learn here but i'm really curious
2: yeah so i mean it, it you play it by ear a lot of times you can um you know, if you keep a really good eye on your trees, you can start to see some of the buds, you know, leaking. Um, but a lot of times it's just pay attention to the weather. And when it gets up to, you know, 35 degrees during the day and then freezes at night, that action really wakes up the roots and it starts drawing up the sap. And then when it starts to freeze, it'll push the sap back down. And, and that cycle is really what you want to hit. And some years, you know, you can have eight, 12 weeks of that. And some years you can have one week. And so... It it just is kind of one of those natural phenomenons um, that you know plant all plants do, and it just happens that uh, maple maple trees produce kind of some of the tastiest. But you can do hickory trees, you can do birch trees, mm-hmm, you birch, can yeah. you know pretty much any hardwood that you want. It just they just have different ratios of sap to to syrup, and uh, yeah.
3: Well, even, you know, maple trees from year to year will have some variation in that sugar content. Um, And so you never quite know what kind of year it's going to be until you're, you know, finishing off that syrup. Um, And actually a crazy thing, well, I think it's crazy. We lived in town, I am in a small town in Wisconsin, if you're familiar, we were in Clintonville. Um, But there were big enough maple trees between like us and our friends and a few other little places. But we tapped a bunch of the trees in town. Um, and we were able to make syrup even just from in town trees for us oh. and our friends. And so that was a really unique experience for me. Interesting.
1: I didn't know you could do that. I didn't I didn't know I didn't think there'd be enough trees to get that much sap. So how much on average, what do you think a, a tree produces for sap? You yeah, I know it depends on the length of the season, but yeah, let's say I in, mean, 20, in 24 hours in a good push-pull cycle, like how much sap are you getting out of a, I don't know, average maple tea tree.
2: You know, you can, you can get, you know, four to eight gallons. It really depends on how often you empty it because a lot of times, you know, life gets in the way and you have to go to work and then you come home and you try and get it get it done or you take some time off and you just do that for your job for a little bit um, and you just, you know, dump out the buckets or dump out the bags. A lot of people will have big storage containers. Myself, we're, we're planning just to boil it as we take it off the trees. So, you know, we're probably not going to put out a big amount of taps, um, this year anyway, we're just going to see how the trees go. And, um, yeah, I mean, you can, you can get quite a bit in a day.
3: Well, and the other thing, you know, you're talking about the bags or the barrels and however people are collecting it. But I mean, if you're ever driving around Wisconsin, sometimes you'll even see people with like tubing running all through the trees and you're like, what is going on there? Um, and a lot of people will leave that up all year. Some people take it down and put it back up and everything, but they are connecting all those different taps through a tube system. And so instead of collecting those bags and everything, it kind of shoots it all the way down to wherever their sugar shack is. Um, and that's a really unique thing, I guess. It takes a lot of work to do that. It's not for everybody, but that's the cool thing is you you tap as much as you want. You do as much as you want to kind of fit yourself. And I mean, it's a short-term hobby, so it's kind of nice. You don't have to invest all year long, but um, during that time, it takes the time.
2: And it really, you know, it, you you really have the opportunity to get as fancy or as low-key as you want. You know, a lot of times just a a uh, wood stove and uh, like an outdoor wood stove, you know, like a camping stove and some steamer pans. You can do it just in there. Or, you know, like we went and bought a an evaporator from a guy and he, he, a lot of these things are handmade. Um, and that has like a two by four pan on it. And and so like, we'll fill up the pan. And when you get to be about an inch of water, you know, um, that's kind of where you want to keep it. And that's where you'll pull it off and you'll get to a certain point. You'll see a different, certain color, um, there's something ki- called a hygrometer and that measures the sugar in the liquid. And so once you get, once you get all, you know, hundred percent sugar, you want to take it off and then you're going to want to finish it either on gas or, you know, something outside. Like I like using a turkey fryer just cause you know, you don't want to do any of this inside of your house. It'll make it produce the steam that comes off has different types of sugars and it'll make your whole house sticky. <laughs>
1: I, I I hate to be the person that figured that out, right? Like you're walking around, <laughs> like, ugh, right? <laughs>
0: like, like, ugh. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> But that's kind of why we're talking about, you know, it takes kind of a team of people because, I mean, you can do this by yourself. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there who is, but, you know, it takes in some cases these big evaporator pans or or turkey roasters. I mean, if you're going to do it solely that way, it takes a lot of time. But, you know, these different steps in the process, you know, start to complete. Um, it is, gosh, it, and and because everything is so messy and so sticky, like you do almost want to do a lot at once, you know, make it worth it.
1: Well, well, tree sap's just sticky to begin with. And I'm sure like, at least you're adding what you're probably making it slightly less sticky, I would assume by adding the water and boiling it down. But I don't know. That's an assumption. Cause I feel like tree sap is way worse than maple
2: syrup when <laughs> it comes to
1: stickiness.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just, it's amazing where, you know, you turn this clear liquid and you sometimes, you know, you'll get what, what we call ratios, right? So you'll get some trees that are pumping out sap water. That's like, 28 to one so that means 28 gallons of sap to one gallon of syrup while well, average for a sugar maple is about 40 to one so like when you get those high those high sugar content trees it changes from year to year you know some some trees are just in a good spot or they just do really well but um you can taste the sugar just in the sap um in some of in some cases and in some cases it just tastes like water and so, you know, it's fun to watch it boil down and it gets into this like kind of really light yellow color and then it starts to caramelize. And then and then you start checking it once you get to that point that is almost syrup, but it still has, you know, maybe 20 percent or 25 percent water left. Then you want to take it off and finish it on gas because you can control that a lot better and you're simmering it and you just want to bring it down to like I think it's like 16 percent or 14 percent. And that's where you get the syrup, where it pours like syrup, it looks, has that color. Um, I know recently Vermont changed a lot of the grading system on how it's done. So, like, just, like, having a really light-colored syrup or a really dark one, a lot of times doesn't matter. It just comes down to preference um, or how you cook it or, like, how much different... uh, Um, minerals and stuff are in the water. It's just a really cool process. And, and, uh, it's fun because a lot of Wisconsinites do it as a family. And so like, it's a big family outing, you know, uncles and grandpas and aunts and kids, like they all take their turns and you sit around the fire and you boil sap and people rotate, you know, you keep the fire going 24 hours or you stoke it up and go to bed and wake up in the morning and do that for a couple weeks. It's just, it's just a fun time.
1: And Wisconsin is rich with traditions. That's one thing I focus on in my show, Um, traditions, because traditions are more about the experience rather than a kill or something along those lines or limits. I mean, you're really looking at the experience there, and that's just another way to keep people involved in the outdoors.
4: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more.
2: Yeah, and you know not that time of year too you can you can run into a lot of really cool stuff in the woods you know you can start seeing seeing some of the critter signs uh, changing into the spring pattern you can start seeing some of the spring ephemerals or that that those first plants in spring um, all that stuff you start to recognize year after year um, and and you're like, oh well I see I'm walking through my yard and I see this popping up uh, I should probably get my tap stuff ready, uh, you know, or something like that. So it's, it's just really cool to be in touch with the the outdoors from a, you know, a really different perspective than just hunting and fishing.
3: Well, and this year is actually kind of, um, Well, I think unique, I guess every year is unique in its own way. But, you know, some of the maple tappers have already started talking about doing that. You know, there's places where people put taps in. And I mean, sometimes when that weather fluctuates, they might have a little bit more of a season to come because, you know, it is so early. But I mean, it is kind of a cool thing, the weather this year too, because now we got all this snow. So maybe that kind of slowed things down for the maple season. But when you're collecting all this sap and everything, one of the one of the things you have to remember to do, everyone's so ready to give up on winter, but if you can save some of that snow, like get a bucket of it and put it in the side of your garage where it like doesn't get, it's in the shadow, you know, it doesn't melt as much. And because you're going to want that snow to pack around if you have extra um, of the maple, so, yeah, the, the, sap. the sap, yeah, if you're gonna store it before, like if your pan is full, what you're boiling on already., um, so that snow can be really helpful. but like you were talking about family, get get kids to do that. They love to pile up snow, you know, but um just some fun things to remember as you're switching seasons.
1: It's it's just a great way to get, it's it gives you excitement, right? For that's just another way to be excited for spring. I know a lot of guys love turkey hunting and things like that, but this is before that even. Like, this is like, we're getting into that, like, end of February, beginning of March. I mean, you're not really into turkey season yet. You're coming, like, I mean, up north by you, used to have strong ice fishing. This year for us, not so much down here anymore. Our <laughs> ice is, it's probably still fishable in some areas. I would probably just get the boat out and hit the river for walleyes at this point because it's wide open, like... <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and that's, you know, that goes back to, you know, turkey season is right around the corner and, and, you know, I, I personally don't really turkey hunt that much, but I really do love calling and we do have, you know, we just purchased a new house in August. And so I'm still, both of us are still learning a lot about, you know, how the, how the annual cycle of things around the, the yard goes. And um it might just be fun just to go out there and sit with a slate and some camo and see, you know, we've seen them roosting in the fall. They just, we haven't seen them, but you we know, that's right through the yard. <laughs> when you're, when you're, when you're tapping trees, you might be able to find that trail or find that roost tree and just be able to mark it for a month from now, you know? Sure.
1: Absolutely. Another fun thing walking around is like, got to keep your eyes out for sheds. I mean, you're, you're yeah. right in that time of the year too. I mean, to shed hunt, it's just a great way to like bring more things into the outdoors. I'm I want to, before we move on, like, I guess I didn't know Vermont did the grading scale, but like, what is the grading scale? Like, is it color? Is it sweetness? Is it taste? Consistency? Like, what are they like? What are they grading maple syrup on? And are we talking like, is it grade A, B? Is it numbers? I'm curious.
2: Like, yeah. So, so that scale has a lot to do with taste and color. Um, there was a there was a it's a it's you know it's a standard for the industry. Vermont, you know, has a whole university dedicated to maple syrup. Um, and, and so they do a whole lot and, and, you know, it sounds silly, but they do a whole lot of tree research and climate change research and a lot of stuff that impacts that industry because it it is a lucrative industry for big producers. Right. So we heard, a lot of us heard about Canada having a maple syrup shortage. And it's like, well, it's, it's funny when you say it out loud, but then all of a sudden you're like, wait, well, that sucks. Like that goes in, not only is it just for pancakes, but it goes, you know, there's sugar, you know, that there's all kinds of candy and all kinds of stuff that, that a lot of those people miss out on. You know, it's kind of like not having snow here for our snowmobile, for our, for our bars and stuff up North, you know, when they don't have snow, it sounds funny, but bars don't get any business. So if you're, if you're having a shortage of maple syrup there, you know, people get angry. And so that grading system it's i don't know i don't know personally because i really i don't really take i don't don't take it that serious you know (laughs) um i i just try and get it as close to the percents you know there's a lot of information online but um if you look up vermont maple syrup grading like they have a whole web page devoted to just like explaining how they do it and there's like double a and there's a b and a c or c b or you know they they really kind of uh they brought it from just like a very simple scale to something that like you know includes the taste and the color and the texture and so it's it's kind of fun you know to read about i'd be personally that's that's too much i got fishing and bees
3: well that's what i was gonna say all, is not to just topics stuff. again but you know as the spring comes up that is the other thing that we think about you know we're talking about our different hobbies and beekeeping is one of them and so we're talking about the grading of the syrup and it's a lot like grading of honey you know and that's kind of a trendy thing right now bees beekeeping and honey and so a lot of people have been to like honey tastings, or like at a fair, you try in a little spoon. And, um, you know, that's very reminiscent of the syrup, because although they do have all the grading systems and everything, like, especially for people who do it in their home, like what it comes down to is preference. And so it's like, people out there, like, I only eat crappies, I only eat bluegills, or only from this season, whatever. And it's like, that's cool. But for us, we like maple syrup like this, you know, and so it's just cool to be able to choose that.
2: Well, and talk about it, talk about an industry that that's very tradition rich in Wisconsin. Um, our state insect is the honeybee. You know, the whole central part of the state is like the mecca of beekeeping. We have a we have a world there's a, a world conference in Wausau every couple of years if not every year that where people from all over the world come and talk about honeybees, new techniques. And we've been, you know, we've been doing it for a quite a while now you know before the kind just before the fads started um and there's a whole bunch to talk about like we could do four shows on this (laughs) beekeeping (laughs) but you know it's again it's one of those things that we do it's it's a passive hobby it's really difficult first off i I don't want to i don't want to make it seem like you can just go like set up because you know there's some of those some depending on the way that you structure your hives and stuff, you know, some of those boxes can weigh hundred, 120 pounds. And so you have to be, you have to be ready to have to move that stuff around there. You know, for us this year, a new challenge is, is bears. Um, we know we have bears in the area, so we have to, we have to pick a spot, level it out, put some, um, electric fence around it. And nor, you know, normally they're not too much of a nuisance if you have an electric fence up, um, but well, if you you don't, my they, uncle,
1: my uncle did bees for many, many years. He
2: yeah
1: uh, what did he I don't remember what he taught at the university, but I know he taught at the Houston university, mm-hmm. and his father was an agriculture, he was an agriculture teacher as well. And um I know he, even down not far from Madison, he has had bear issues with his bees,
2: yes. Yeah so one of our one of our favorite people is um, Kent from Wapaka they have the Dancing Bear Apiary um, they have an awesome shop down s- downtown main street, main street yeah. um and they just redid it he has all kinds of different honey and that guy like him and some of the other people from that Wapaka chapter of uh, beekeepers they actually go down to South America and teach people how to keep bees down there, Nicaragua. Nicaragua, oh, yes. Nicaragua. And so, like, he's a wealth of knowledge, and it's fun to go and hang out at his shop. And um he's the honey.
3: To, yeah. yeah, we're talking about. Yeah. It.
2: <laughs> but yeah, it's another, it's another passive hobby where we can, you know, we can have it here, we can check on it, we do the work, but then it, for the most part, it, it does a, for a lot of the season, it does itself. But in the spring and the fall. When traditionally you have a lot of transition, you know, we like to fill our time with stuff. So ice buildup or ice out doesn't seem so long. We like to have those transition activities.
1: Sure. And that makes sense. You got, well, you got your ice out period where you can't get out there in open water yet. Ice isn't safe. It's all honeycombed and whatnot. You're working on your well, makeup syrup. syrup. Season. Yep. Right. That's syrup season. And then you got, and then you got honey season there. I I, that's, I, I see it. I see the correlation there. I really do but I guess I never like, you're talking about like honey tastings and I'm sure there's syrup tastings. Like I never even thought about that. And then like the judging of it, it's now I'm like, is this like whiskey and wine? Like I never even put like that together. Like I'm sure there's, I'm like, I'm sure there's people out, like you probably have to go through like so many tastings to get certified as a judge. And like, it's a whole industry I never even thought of.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, we haven't delved much into that. That's way above our pay grade, but no, it's, it's, it's a fun, it's fun to, to, to keep track of and just watch and, you know, just keep up with it. <laughs> that's awesome. That That's
1: really cool. Wasn't expecting the first half of the show to go there. I like it, yeah. <laughs> but I know we talked you never about know with us. Even, that's <laughs> great though. You never know with my show. I mean, it could be anything on this show. Sometimes it's, <laughs> it's everything in the kitchen sink. Yeah. Um, I know that we led to this a little bit and i know i wanted to touch base on this um i know you guys shoot a little bit of archery not a ton but i know i kind of i've never shot league so i'm kind of just curious on your opinion of like i know that's another probably winter exit i'm assuming that's a winter time activity you kind of use to keep your time busy so i'm just kind of curious like what led you to that
2: like so so that was that was based you know it was a bar league and and our friends are currently in the line. Like
3: way sooner in the story than this.
2: Okay, sure. Start it off.
3: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I I mean I don't mean to interrupt, but it's like, you know, I think the thing about it is you kind of grew up in the outdoors and hunting and you had mentors and you know, as you grew up into an adult, am I assuming?
2: Yeah, you're assuming. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. I mean (laughs) I, I, I spent a lot of my youth um fishing. I got into college in northwest northwest Minnesota. I did a lot of waterfowl hunting, some upland game bird. Um, I really didn't hit the bow scene until like my junior year in college. And, you know, I, I fell in love with, I've always loved, you know, bows. I'm kind of, uh, I don't participate in a whole lot, but I, I'm kind of like the Dungeons and Dragons geek, you know. So, you know, the archery and stuff kind of lends itself to that. And I got into it and I started doing a little bit of hunting, um, just teaching myself, asking questions. Um, And then I kind of fell away from it because I just started bouncing around the country and doing different jobs. And then once we kind of settled in Wisconsin, we kind of got back into it.
3: Well, and that's the other end of the story is that I grew up in Chicago. And so, um, you know, when I was very young, we were closer to the city. And then after we were kind of more in the suburbs. But, you know, convincing one of my friends even to go on a hike, much less go hunting, was just simply out of the question. (laughs) Um, Actually, I'll even admit this. You know, we grew up, we didn't have like public land and stuff like that. We have forest preserves down there. And my experience with wildlife was like the deer and you'd put the quarter in the gumball machine and you get the feed and then they eat it out of your hand. You know, like, so when I moved to Wisconsin in college and met people who were hunting and outdoorsy and all of that kind of stuff, it kind of blew me away. Um, and I loved it, but it was a lot at once, I suppose. Just, a just
1: culture yeah. shock. It's like a different country at that point. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And so when we met um, and you were outdoorsy and I wanted to be, you know, fishing kind of became our first thing, but then as we were seeking out those other hobbies, um, archery, became it and it's kind of a funny story because one day it was coming <laughs> up to hunting season josh didn't know if he needed new strings on his bow and we stopped at the archery shop and <laughs> do you remember this story we were he ended up not needing strings they were in great shape they were like you're good for at least another season we left there with a bow for me yes. like he asked me he's like are you interested do you want to shoot and i just like said yes <laughs> so yes, I mean, you I know <laughs> We're talking about, you know, people getting interested and in, like trying these new things. And I mean, I think there are people these days um, and I hate to say the C word, you know, but COVID, everyone is so locked up and now people are able to get out and do things again. But I think because everything feels so new, people are more willing to try new. um And so obviously, I mean, this was before COVID that this all happened for me and I guess I just decided to try it. But, you know, lo and behold, it was that day that I took my very first shots at a Target and um you know, growing up in a city, hunting is like a little bit hard for me you know I would have to really ease into that but shooting at a target was super fun and ultimately something that I was half decent at which was a really fun surprise like I had no idea
1: that's and I I didn't realize we had bar leagues in Wisconsin I'm not surprised that we do we have bar leagues for everything from darts to pool to foosball to like every literally everything Bay, tournament like everything there's a league for everything softball volleyball i did not realize we had archery bar leagues that's that's impressive well
2: and that might be and it might be something that's unique to the shop we were at um butch's okay. archery uh just south shano um they have a full bar in their archery shop and so you know that's kind of our, our the place we were shooting um, we and started people are
3: super respectful because you think of yeah. like bows and arrows and drunk people and like, how does that all go? You know what I mean? But people, people are very respectful and I, I yeah, never you don't really have a whole lot of time in my
2: to so. slam drinks when you're shooting because you have, you have three, three or four rounds and you have to shoot, you know, 20 arrows a piece and there's 16 teams or 16 shooters. And so like it can take, you know, you show up and have a, something start at seven and it might be, you know, nine 10 o'clock before you're done.
1: Sure. And, and you're, cont- and you're, and you're pretty, and you're, you're up there shooting quite a bit at that point. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, I'm sure there's some downtime as people cycle through, but it's not like you go up there, you shoot around and then you wait around for two hours to see the results.
2: Right.
3: Well, and that's almost the funny thing because every night people have things going on in their lives. And usually you put that night aside. That's what that that's for is, you know, shooting, but, then there's always somebody who's like, I got to get home for whatever's going on. And so, you know, you all have to really cycle through. You don't just like shoot at your leisure. You know, there's lanes, you walk down together, you walk back together, you know, your Josh yeah, just doing that. Yeah. And so, I mean, even though some people do kind of want to stand around and lollygag and whatever, there's always somebody there that's like keeping everyone on track. And that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They got to go
1: get their kid from basketball practice, so it's like, let's go, come yep. on, let's go. I got my kid to pick up. Let's move. And I, yep. understand, I understand exactly what you're saying, like with the respectfulness. Just because there's a bar there, doesn't mean there's people standing around getting drunk and shooting each other. I right. mean, you go to most sportsmen's clubs in Wisconsin for for clay league, um, sporting clay, trap, five stand. Almost every place has a bar. Almost yep. every single sportsman's club has a bar, and everyone there is very respectful for that. Most people don't like. I've, I've shot more rounds of clays than I can count and we never drank beforehand. I mean, we'd go shoot yep. a round of sporting clays or two back when I used to shoot league for sporting clays afterwards, we'd have a couple beers. Sure. But we never do it before we'd go shoot. I probably should have, like I probably would have had better scores. It's like darts, you <laughs> need just enough aiming fluid, but yeah. we were always respectful of the firearms and we never did.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, with the archery, you know, we didn't, she says we walked in and grabbed a, got a brand new bow for her. And that, and that's true, but you don't have to go in and spend $1,500 on a brand new bow for somebody that's new. You know, we went in, we bought a diamond youth bow. Um, it was bright green. We still have it. It's a great yeah, bow, fishing I, I, bow because you can turn it way down. Um, and, and she, you know, she shot with it. And what took a little bit of time was her being able to recognize like your feet per second, increases your accuracy so even though it's an easy bow to draw back and and it's a very forgiving bow you're lobbing arrows down 20 yards instead of shooting arrows down 20 yards and so we did end up going and getting her a, a vixen um, i shoot like the the hoyt defiant the carbon defiant um, and i really i was really in love with my my uh 2019 um rock by by diamond and it got stolen out of my pickup. So that was why I had to buy a new bow. Um, but it was it was good. Like I... I, think I
3: it was locked. Yeah. It like broke in to take it.
2: But I mean, you know, it, it, is, it is what it is. It wasn't worth a whole lot. It was just something that I was comfortable shooting. But I switched over to the Defiant. Um, maybe some of your you, viewers know, like, that's a very long bow axle to axle. Um, we, we, curr- we just got some... We actually just got some cases from Lakewood that are 43 inches. And this like maxes that out. I think it's like 39 and a half or something axle to axle. And so it's like a pretty, pretty long bow. But for me, like, especially having a short draw length, you know, I, I'm shooting 26 inches, having that really long axle to axle, um, gives me a a lot of, of forgiveness when I'm hunting. You know, I, I, I have, I can, I can be off just a little bit. You know, I practice a lot in the yard, with the season coming up, um, you know, we normally, we do some leagues during the winter. So it's not like I'm totally cold, but uh, yeah, I, I just getting out and using it. And if you want, want to get into archery, like that, I think that diamond, that diamond youth bow was like 150 or 200 bucks with a sight and a, and a whisker biscuit on it.
1: You don't need anything more than that. I mean, my first, like I still have my first bowl, which is a super old bear legion too like really old. I still have it. And then from there I went to, uh, I don't remember what it was. It was another bear, but it was a ready to hunt. I got it on sale. I think at Gander for 325 bucks nice. and it had a true glow site, whisker biscuit, um, took it to a local bow shop and had them go through it. And we got the peep site set up and everything. Right. So it went I mean, and I was, I shot it great. The only reason I got rid of it is because I became super focused on upland bird hunting, and I completely threw archery to the side. Yeah, yeah.
0: Fishing Like a Local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing Like a Local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Yeah. And that, well, and that's, that's kind of the different story for me. You know, I came from, I came from hunting the Dakotas, Western side of Minnesota, you know, there's grouse and, and uh, pheasants and ducks glower out there. And then I come here and it's like a good day in the, in, on the pond is like a half a dozen mallards or, or 12 wood ducks, you know? And it's like, sure. it's really difficult. Like I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I was like super spoiled living in anybody that lives in the Dakotas and and waterfall and upland game hunts, they're super spoiled. You don't know what, what you have until you you're missing it. But, um, you know that, but that's kind of where I transitioned from shotguns into archery and started focusing more on bow hunting. And, um, luckily I have a, I, I work with, I work in natural resources and all the guys in my office are, are all archery hunters. Um, so, you know, we can break down maps, we can look, you know, we'll have people over to our properties and we'll look at stand locations and, and be able to collaborate during the day when we're working or whatever. Um, and it's just very helpful and, and good way to learn from people that have been doing it their whole life, you know. Sure.
1: I mean it not everybody can look at a map or like a topo map or any map and figure out like exactly what they're looking at, what would be a choke point, what's different funnel areas. I'm not great at that. I'm not a big archery and deer hunter though, either either. I'm you were spoiled out there for your upland birds. My father-in-law has forty acres, which the past two years I have had my my deer within the first fifteen minutes. Nice, like, nice. I'm I, I'm a big I. I'm not a big archery hunter because I don't like to sit. Like I don't mm-hmm. I don't like sitting in a tree stand. I don't like. Like for me, that's too slow. I can't get out of my own head. And I wind up reverting back to like what I have to do at work and planning work stuff. Yeah. Whereas like when I'm or I'm fishing or I'm upland hunting or duck hunting, which I do most like things that involve my dog, I'm able to truly focus on the moment, focus on the dog and literally wash all that stuff out of my brain. And that's why I go out to do this because I, I want the break from real life. I want to be 100% immersed in the activity I'm currently in. And I just can't find that in archery. I can't get out of my own way when sitting in a tree stand.
3: Well, maybe that's why leagues is like perfect for you. You know, (laughs) it keeps that pace going. You're always shooting at something or there's some really fun 3D shoots out there. I mean, some places just like, put a deer out there and say, go for it. You know, but some of these places have really elaborate setups, sound systems, ambiance. you know, it's all set up and um, explore some of those places because there is some cool stuff going on.
1: Oh, I've seen some amazing 3d. Like I know, like there's a local bowl shop, buck rub. They've got a really nice indoor 3d and they got a really cool 3d like walk through the woods area. And that, like, that was always fun. It's just finding the past, Like, cause I don't hunt. Like I, I hunt, like I, I hunt. That's like my main passion, right? <laughs> but I don't archery hunt. And for me, it's like, do I want to drive 40 minutes to go shoot? Or would I rather drive 10 minutes to the local park and work my dog? And I'd much <laughs> rather different. go work my dog. Yeah. Like, 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 I feel like fall is way too short also. So I have to select what I want to do. Do I want to Do I want to chase deer in the fall? Or do I want to spend like the beginning of september and all of october and up until deer season basically in november chasing my dog around the woods looking for grouse and woodcock which is what i do and then i gun deer as quick as possibly i can to fill my freezer and then my dog goes away because it's gun season it's too dangerous and then i focus on that last two weeks of ducks like it's all mapped out like every year it's like i don't short of my dog getting hurt i just don't pick up my boat
3: you know what I'm thrilled to hear about all of those hunting options? Seriously. I love hunting because it keeps people <laughs> off the lake in fall. And that is the best fishing that there is.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not chasing yeah. the fall bite. Like I'm a big bass fisherman. Everybody's like, you got to get in the fall bite. Like I'm catching <laughs> bass. He's like, I've got the musky. I just caught two forty plus. I'm like, Y'all man, I'm shooting grouse in the woods. Like you you have had that. I'm good.
3: And I am so glad that you were out there doing that. <laughs>
1: i mean i love fishing like i love fishing the summer i love chasing smallies like i'm a huge fan of chasing smallies on the wisconsin river like that's really where i've done i did quite a bit of tournament fishing last year and i really enjoy chasing smallies on the river so i really see myself slowing down on the tournaments this year maybe fishing only one or two rather than fishing a full weeknight series every single week all summer and really just going back to the river and just like slowing down and just catching them river smallies because they're just so mean i love them
2: yeah yeah and you know i mix up my archery i do that after work so i uh, during the week is is my bow time but saturday and sunday is reserved for for fishing so and,
1: and i think that also has a big thing to do with why i don't shoot anymore i used to be able to shoot in my yard i now yeah. live in a subdivision just outside of a the second biggest city in wisconsin and my basement's 13 yards, not even, it's 11 yards. Like I used to shoot, I'm like, this is boring. Like 11 yards. This is just like, it's not even worth it. Like it's not I, mean, yeah. I get the muscle memory. Sure. But like, I'm not actually pushing myself to be better in any sort of way. And the closest place, like the closest sportsman's club for me is over 30 minutes away. So for me to, to have an hour worth of driving to go shoot 40 or 50 arrows, it just, I can't like, it's too much. Like, I can't, Mm -hmm. like, I can't justify the time spent for it anymore is really what it is just because of my location.
3: Well, and I was going to kind of like make fun of you a little bit, like what your neighbors (laughs) don't like you, like shooting across the backyards and stuff, you know, but I mean, it it brings you to a bigger thought is that even before I met Josh, he was doing a little bit of bow, bow hunting or yeah, bow fishing, I guess, um, where you, In the town you were in Shawnee, not to throw Shawnee under the bus, you know, but he he was stopped a few times like, you can't, you can't bow hunt in the city. And it's like, no, I get it. But I'm like shooting at the lake, you know, like in a, in a place where nobody else is, you know, you take the precautions and all that. And um, some That's people, funny. it's very hard to find a place to get out and do some of these outdoor sports.
1: Like not to throw Sean under the bus, but they're already <laughs> under the bus now at this point. Like, were these local homeowners saying you can't hunt in there? No, was it like this no, actually I got it. like like the police that's no, I, I was
2: dis I was discharging my my bow fishing bow within thirty feet of the center line. And you know, it's a it's a weapon, so you, you can't right. do that. That's part of the that's part of the laws. But the reason I never got a ticket was that nobody could have ever explain to me whether my bow fishing rig was a bow or a harpoon and harpoons aren't covered in natural resource law um the arrow itself the shaft is doesn't have fletchings it's connected to the bow itself so it's all one unit um and you know northern north central city cops they you know they probably went to school there, high school there and then they graduated and became a cop and they just don't want to deal with it. So they're just like, Hey, we keep getting calls of somebody shooting off a bridge. You can't do sure. that. And I got, well, I can, <laughs> and I'm going to, but then I just <laughs> finally came up and gave gave up just cause it wasn't even that good. And there's a lot of rocks. So I ended up busting a bunch of arrows, sure. and things, but
1: it just kind of surprised me. Cause if you would go out on the Madison chain on a warm Saturday night, like like I'll go out there in spring and troll. Like I've got a duck boat, but I, I mean I I have I'll set it up for trolling like for walleye out there, and I'll be out there in the spring trolling and like when the carp are like getting ready to spawn or it's all you see is bow fishing boats on that lake at night. Yeah. you're either like you either have lighted planing board planer boards, you're either trolling for walleye, and it's a big loop that everybody basically does. Like yeah. you're on the Madison Chain, you know what I'm talking about. There's what <laughs> but all around you is nothing but spaceships <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep.
1: with bow fishing boats. So I was surprised to hear you were getting harassed up there. Cause like, they don't like, like, a, not like they, they shoot the crap out of these lakes.
2: <laughs> well, and I, I do have a slight advantage, you know, being in natural resources, I have a little bit, I have some access to information that most normal people don't. So I can, I, I can look up reg, rules and regulations a little bit more efficiently than, than some people, but, you know it, it you just have to pick your battles and that was one that oh, i sure. just kind of gave up on
1: i get it i get it completely like is it like there's so many different ways you can argue that is it even worth the argument right i get yep. that it was,
2: if it was good if it was good bow fishing i would have i would have probably put up more of a stink but it wasn't so <laughs>
1: <laughs> i've always had fun doing that from my kayak like that's always been fun like yeah. I, like you get out there on you get out there with the right watercolor. On a nice on a on a day where you have enough wind, where it pushes the kayak, but not enough wind to ruin your sight, you're like 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 the water clarity, it's great because like you can just set up on a drift and you can you can just float right over them. They don't even care.
2: Yeah, like,
1: there's no sound. There's nothing. There's no trolling motor. The wind just blows you, and my kayak's stable enough. I can stand to shoot the whole time, and it's like it's, it's a good time.
2: Yeah,
3: that's fun. We keep talking that we got to get kayaks. So I'm sitting here just like listening jealously, basically. <laughs> but I'm also laughing because I think even anglers so often focus on like the deep water or you know, where are fish or this or that drop-offs. And I think they fail to realize how many fish are are up shallow, you know, how many carp are in your local waterways. Um just some of these different creatures that are up there that you only see bow fishing, you know, it's kind of like two different well it is two different sports but you know on the same water and it's crazy that it is so different
1: it's amazing what you'll see bow fishing on lakes it is Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing i remember going out on a a well-known musky lake in wisconsin i'm not going to say any more specific than that and we were talking to the guy out there and and this was before lithium was even popular and he's out there with a really nice like it was not your typical, it wasn't a John boat. I don't remember what kind of boat it was, but I'm like, that's a unique, I, I, like that's a unique boat to do bow fishing. And it was hundred percent quiet. He was running all lithium batteries with lights. And, and this was before, like this was before like eight, like um, LED was even out. Like he was running all HPS, like before, like before that got popular all lithium batteries. I'm like he had lots of money because he was, this lake was somewhat, not it wasn't real rural and it is like generators could make people frustrated and he's like you wouldn't believe the walleye in this lake i'm like there's not walleye in this lake what are you talking about and he's like you come out with me one night i will show you walleye bigger than you can imagine in this lake <laughs> and nobody knew yep. they were in there really other than like okay. other than unless you were out there at night and he was up in the shallows and the walleyes come into the shallows to feed and and he's and y'all you, you, you yeah and that like have really good clarity yeah. Wow. That's awesome.
3: That is awesome.
1: So like you were saying, like, it's surprising, like people guys think sometimes don't get out of their own way. Like what you're saying, because I have friends that are big, ba- like I'm a big bass fisherman and I'll chase deep water fish. I'll fish ledges. I'll try to find that big bite. And they're big and there can be big bites out there, but I'll have a friend call me fishing from her mom's pier. I just caught a 22. <laughs> what? You just caught 22 inch yep. bass from your ma's pier, like in the sloppiest slop that I'm like, how'd you even fish that? Like, what kind you throw <laughs> yeah. through there? Like, like, I'm, I'm surprised you can't walk across that to get to clean water. It's so thick.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just like, wow, like really? And and she'll be like, yeah, oh yeah, I caught, I caught a, like a handful over 16, this 20 inch or today. I'm like, what am I doing out here? Like, like, why am I chasing this fat smolly bite when I can be in there not dealing with offshore traffic from boats and just be tucked up in some shallow punching some mats? Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is
3: true. That is true.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them.
3: But yeah. I, I also like what you said about like, don't let people get in your own way. Because, uh, you know, when we're talking about the outdoors, I think that's the other thing is people here. I mean, we're, we're online, we're talking about what we do or don't do, you know, but people get so caught up in that. And so it's really important to like, listen to stuff like this and every other episode or, you know, whatever else people are putting online, but, you know, only... Only like less than halfway, I guess, you know, like learn something from each of these things, but you have to do things your own way. And you were talking about smallies and that's what made me think of this. Um, we were out on Malax. I guess that's almost two years ago now. It was fall and honestly, the walleyes were not biting that great, but we know that there's smallies in there. And so we tried every bass bait that we had with us. You're supposed to do this, throw like this, do this, you know, found because we're not primarily bass anglers, but we were doing what you have to do. And then we're like not catching them. We're like, screw this. And then we put on, we, we, we troll for panfish all the time. So we just started like trolling different swim baits and stuff. And I kid you not, we caught so many smallies. And part of that is just like the confidence in that technique, you know? And so whether it's hunting, whether it's bow leak, whether it's fishing, whether it's bow fishing, you know, whatever it is. Like, that's one of the things is like, find your niche and find your groove. And that's kind of what this is all about.
1: It's amazing what a confidence lure can do. Like it, uh, it really is. I and mean, you just said that like, that was your confidence, like trolling and you were able to pinpoint them fish, but it's like, it's amazing what a confidence lure will go to. It's funny. Cause I always like, I'll bring six rods with, for a bass tournament and everything else. And I'll bring even more when I'm out pre-fishing, trying to figure out what the bite is and the pattern is. And if I lose the pattern, there's two baits I'm going back to. And I know right where I'm going to throw them. It doesn't matter what I found pre-fishing anymore. Cause if I can't find the fish, like I know this is going to catch fish. So it's like, like what you said, like. Why don't I just start there? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. if this is my go to and I know it works everywhere, why am I doing anything but that? Like, I really feel like I could bring like six bags of plastics and two rods and really just like fish as good as I fish, like with everything else I bring.
3: Yeah, but if you've never tried anything new, like think of all the things you would miss out on learning. Because that's that the other true. thing is like if we went out and we could like find deer every time, we could catch a fish every time, fish fry, and you know, like. I hate to say it, you know, nobody maybe wants to say it, but sometimes those days where the bite is really hard and that's a really humbling day, you know, you try your confidence baits and even that doesn't work. You know, that's what makes those days so great when you can just slam on fish or, you know, find a trail or whatever sport that it is. I mean, because if every day was perfect, then it would be boring. For sure. I agree a hundred percent. And sometimes <laughs> those really
1: hard days are really like, like really are what pay off at the end. Cause I remember, um, had to have been late summer last year. It was one of my, it was one of our weeknight tournaments in the kayak. And it was a super slow bite, like really, really slow. And I went to a spot where I thought I'd catch fish. I couldn't find them. It was really windy. It was nasty. I put all my, I put all my dice into going across the lake to this spot. Like I was, I had waves coming over the bow the whole way there. Like it was rough. It was a rough day. And like, I'm like, ah, it's not working. Like I'm sending pictures to all the rest of the paddle and fin crew. Like, like there's a, there's a sitting right next to me is a raccoon that came out of the reeds and I'm texting pictures. I'm like, one of our, one of the guys' nicknames is trash man. I'm like, Hey, wait, wait, man. Next time you crash my, tell your friends that not to crash my party. And like, I'm like completely out of it. Right. During this tournament. And I'm like, all right, I got to focus. And I went to a bait that I had just started to try to use. And it was a jig and worm and i pitched it in next to this tree and i got bit like instantly like right off a deep hole and i would already fished this spot once i wound up catching three fish out of there putting all three in the boat that's my only three bites and it was enough to take first nice like so it's like like i couldn't figure anything out i couldn't focus and like it was really frustrating and then like i got those three bites that's the only bites i had i and it's a three fish limit. So I got my limit in this tournament as a three fish rather than a five, like most kayak tournaments. And I was able to take first that night and it was a rough night. And I'm like, this was awesome. Like it really made, like you were saying, like sometimes that difficult period really can make it like just that much better the next time. Or even in the same day, once you figure it out, even if you don't really figure it out, you're struggling all day and you get just a couple of good bites. It really makes it worth it.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's something where I feel like you know, cameras on both land and water are really important. You know, as as far as I'm concerned, I think that just having the verification that you're right, you know, you might sit in a tree all day and not see anything. And then the next day, the one you were looking for walks by at the time, you sh- you would have been, been there, but at least, you know, he's there. Right? right. And so that goes same with fishing. You know, you as long as you have a camera and you do all the things right, and you can't get anything to bite and you like looking at your electronics and you're like, man, maybe these are just like shiners or something. And you put it down there and it's like, you know, that giant school of smallmouth or a big school of crappies right. or whatever. And like you feel vindicated. Right. So at least you can right. go home and not feel like it was a disappointment. You learned something. Find them. <laughs> you learned something. Right. You went right. through all of those things that you that you tried didn't work. And now you just put them together with those pieces, like the weather, and you know your cadence, and and this is, applies to almost all the outdoor pursuit to stuff. You know, you just put all those pieces together, and then next time you can be, you can set yourself up to be successful in the way that you want to to be successful.
1: Absolutely. I mean, every time, every time I'm out there, I'm learning something. I mean, I'm always trying to learn. It's always what worked, what didn't work, like with grouse hunting, like time of year, weather patterns, what were they feeding on? Like if you're able to harvest a bird looking at the crop, like what are they feeding on? What time of day are you finding them? And what kind of cover are you finding them in that time of day? Is it really hot? Are they are they lowland? Are they wet? Are they in swamps? Is it kind of cool? Or I mean all of that. And every time I go out, I'm always like, okay, what did I do different here? Like what was different? What worked? What didn't work? Same with fishing. So I think that's a big part of it for me is the constant learning.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, one kind of last thing that that we do as far as our fishing and and some of the hunting goes like we've devoted a whole room in our house to tackle craft, building rods, like MacGyvering stuff to make our our escapades out in the wilderness like a little bit more fun and you and it's learning how those things you know, interact in the water and learning how like certain things work. You know, we, I take a lot of inspiration from the bass world. Um, Japan's been doing it for a long time and they've been micro sizing stuff. And I just really love taking those, taking the challenge of taking like an Alabama rig and turning it into like a crappie rig, even a bluegill rig, sure. you know, a, a swarm of little bugs on there. Who knows? Cause those kind of things like keep you engaged and you might find, you might find that golden thing that like.
3: Your new favorite lure. Yeah. Your new confidence right. <laughs> Well,
1: someone came up with a vibrating jig, right? That wasn't yeah. around 10 years ago. 10 right. years ago, it was a spinner bait or a buzz bait. And all of a sudden, what's this vibrating jig? Like someone came up with that. Someone decided to put a flat blade in front of a jig one day and was like, holy crap, this is amazing.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: Or like before, like with musky baits, before they had those really giant bucktails and synthetics, like with the big Carolina blades back then I was bit by the musky bug and we were making our own lures. Like we were making huge Carolina blades on five inch vices and hammering them out with hammers. Like to the point where we were blowing up like the old school Abu Garcia, 6,300s, like at least a couple of season, <laughs> but these fish had never seen a lure put out this much vibration. Yeah. And the amount of follows we got, because they were just like, I don't even know what this is. I'm yeah. going to investigate was like, you knew you were on the right path. And now you've got like the showgirls and the cowgirls and the doubles. And the like, it's like they're the the market caught up. But for a while there, nobody knew what we were doing. Like we were still on like big, like that's back when like, the Meps musky killer was a big bucktail and we're making things three to four times that size.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Or like when the bulldog came out for muskies like giant plastics and they're like and like they're <laughs> hammering fish because they've never seen it before
2: right
3: i'm laughing a little bit because i'm trying to not like get into a huge story while <laughs> I'm, like, kind of summing things up but um when you know we just recently moved in august um and we ended up so if you've heard of the Suic lure company mm-hmm. um the, we ended up in uh, the sewick house. <laughs> so, like, welcome. Um, but we found like a few little Easter eggs and things around the house that have to do, you know, with kind of the history of the company. And um, so Josh actually went online and found like one of the oldest versions of a sewick lure. And um, we also in this process had picked up a very new version of a suic lure because it happens to be on their website, it's signed by all the family members. So as far as the history of the house, it was really cool, but to be able to have like this very old original version and like this brand new version. And I mean, that is really cool, but the technology difference, I mean, it's hard to call a lure technology, but that is what it is, you know, and to see that evolution along the way. I mean, and, and we, you were talking about the tackle crafting even, I mean, that's the thing anybody can come up with the next big idea, you know? Oh, and so right. like we were saying, going out there and trying something new, you never know what's going to work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the cool part. Like, it doesn't even take much, like we'll we'll pick on the vibrating jig because it was easy, right? Someone put a flat blade in front of a bash jig, yeah. changed the complete style of the lure. Like, someone decided to do that one day, and it it was probably some random person, to be honest, and it worked, right? I mean, I don't even know what the next big idea is. I don't know. I haven't thought of it yet. I I might not be the one to even think of it. Someone's going (laughs) to be like, you know, look at the Alabama rig. Like, yeah. Like someone thought of throwing a whole bunch of shiny flashy stuff with a whole bunch of hooks and baits on it. Like, Mm -hmm. let's make it look like a swarm of, a swarm of shad, like,
4: Mm -hmm.
1: or what is that? That deep jigging technique. They came out for ocean now for ocean fishing. They've got some, like, they've got a whole different style of slow jigging. Yep. Like, that's like its own unique thing too. Like someone came out like with that and the presentation and the baits for that or giant swim baits now, like it's all like there's all these new things coming out, which it's cool. It's it's like you said, anybody can get into that too and just try those unique things and see what works.
2: Yeah. And, you know, people shouldn't be scared to cross over into different, you know, different categories. I take a, I take a lot of, a lot of stuff from, you know, my hunting background and bring it into fishing and vice versa. You know, we we were talking about reading maps and that's one thing that like, Animals just follow the same thing, you know, the sure. path of least resistance. They're just animals are like water. And sometimes, you know, you get a weird one that like runs straight up a hill or, you know, whatever. But like, but like you take all of that knowledge and you can like put it together and, and just really mash up all of your experience from all facets of the, of the multiple industries and really make yourself successful.
1: That is the good part. That That's the fun part about it. I mean, it's just all that was learning, just taking knowledge from everywhere you can. And like you said, put it, make take it with a grain of salt, but take, take that knowledge and find a way to make it work for you. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna give you two the last few minutes of the show here. Talk about what you all do. Shout out Crappie Junction and everything else you got going on. Thank thank whoever you need to thank. And...
3: Um, let's start by thanking your viewers at home, right? Yeah. Because. <laughs> without them none of us would be here. Um and you know if you'd like to continue to join us on the things that we do and talk about and all of that we love to share out um mostly the fishing world um mm-hmm. but we do do some of this other stuff and we like to share that too but um crappie junction we are on most of your fam- favorite social media platforms and um crappies are indeed our favorite but we are multi species Angler um, and fish all kinds of different locations. We like to travel um here and there and all those kinds of things. So um different adventures, including expos. So um especially this weekend, we have coming up the Wisconsin Fishing Expo down in Madison. So if you are in that area, definitely look that up this weekend. Um lots of fabulous things going on. Um, but we like to do live videos with different vendors and stuff to bring the show and the expo to the people who can't be there. So you see a lot of that from us. Um, But I guess for that show specifically, if you can make it, they do prizes as well. So just for showing up, um, you are eligible to win. Um, And so, you know, just sharing all that kind of stuff that we experience with everyone else. That's what we do. Yep.
1: I love it. And the Wisconsin Fishing Expo is a great show. Like you said, they've got their, they've got prize patrol that goes around. I will be there in the Rocktown booth representing New Canoe. So if you are in the area and want to meet me in person, stop by the Rocktown booth. Uh, you'll see these Hello. two walk these. You'll see these two walking around if you're there at the right time. So I hope to see some people out. I think it's it's one of my favorite shows. I really do enjoy that show.
2: Yeah, it's it's very fun. Uh, the advertising company does a really wonderful job, um, and we you know we love working with them. And you know, kind of our thing is just weeding through the information. Weeding through the products and just kind of recommending what works for us, while also giving you an idea of what else is out there. And so, don't just take our advice and get everything that we get, because a lot of times it might not work for you. And so, that's kind of what we base ourselves on: is getting the information out there and helping people.
1: Trying to be impartial, but partial at the same time. Like this works for us, but there's is out here as well. Like, feel free to use it. Yeah, like it. I like it and I will link and I'll provide all their links in the show descriptions to all their different social media platforms and anything else they have going on. So you'll be very easy to find them. I'll take them in the show. Like always, Emily and Josh, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a fun show. Yeah, Anytime. Yeah. I learned quite a, I learned quite a bit about maple syrup, which, which was very surprising. I liked it.
2: There's a lot more to learn.
1: Oh, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. <laughs> To all my listeners, thanks again for tuning in. I wouldn't do this without you. And until next time, everyone, keep chasing the experience.
0: Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.